We find ourselves in 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, I should say, verses 10 through 18. Uh, and I'm reading from the CEB, the Common English Bible. And there we read the words of the Apostle Paul as he writes to the church in Corinth. Now I encourage you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, agree with each other and don't be divided into rival groups. Instead, be restored with the same mind and the same purpose. My brothers and sisters, Chloe pe Chloe's people gave me some information about you, that you're fighting with each other. What I mean is this, that each one of you says, I belong to Paul, I belong to Apollos, I belong to Cephas, I belong to Christ. Has Christ been divided? Was Paul crucified for you, or were you baptized in Paul's name? Thank God that I didn't baptize any of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that nobody can say that you were baptized in my name. Oh, I baptized the house of Stephanus too. Otherwise, I don't know if I baptized anyone else. Christ didn't send me to baptize, but to preach the good news. And Christ didn't send me to preach the good news with clever words so that Christ's cross won't be emptied of its meaning. The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are being destroyed, but it is the power of God for those of us who are being saved. Hear what the Spirit is saying through the scriptures. Will you pray with me? God, we thank you for the opportunity to spend some time with the scriptures this morning. We pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts would be pleasing to you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Pray this in Jesus' name and all the holy names of God. Amen. Uh, Jules and I have been going with a particular framing for each one of our messages. And so I, I want to maintain that, that framework, and even though she's not here this week. I want to start out with a little bit of background on the scripture, kind of ground us in the time and place and what's going on and what's happening in the story, and then talk about what first jumped out at me, then my aha moment, going a little deeper into the, the scripture, and then finally to talk about what is the good news that we find in this passage. So in this letter, Paul is answering some correspondence that he's received from folks involved with the early church in Corinth, particularly this letter that was sent to him expresses some concerns about divisions in the church. And the causes of this division are many, and they're mentioned throughout the letter. They reverberate throughout the letter. In chapter 1, as we read here in the text, there's division over baptism and allegiance to those who baptized these new converts, these new believers. And in chapters 5, 6, and 7, uh, shows us that Paul's hearers are divided about sexual ethics and they're prone to resort to civil lawsuits instead of church negotiation and conversation to settle their disputes. In chapters 9 and 11, we discover some dispute about who should partake in the Lord's Supper and divisions about that. In chapters 12 and through 14, there's conversation about division when it comes to ministry and worship. Division has been present in the church since the very beginning. And it, of course, continues even to this day. It's the reason why we have thousands, literally thousands of denominations just in the Christian faith. 
So this morning we're talking about division based on allegiances, but that's just a whole, one of the whole slew of divisions that we've experienced in the church since its very earliest days. So that's the backdrop of the text for this morning. Now, when it comes to the question of who, what first jumped out at me, uh, it's Paul's tone. He's both deeply uh, frustrated and desperate and flustered. Jules pointed out earlier this week that Paul sounds like he's begging the hearers of this letter. He says, now I encourage you. Other versions say, I implore you. Uh, I ask you. Almost, I beg you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, agree with each other and don't be divided into rival groups. Instead, be restored with the same mind and the same purpose. Jules' paraphrase of this verse is, could you please just try to get along? It's like he wants to say, for the love of Pete, Jesus died and this is what you're arguing about? She went on to say, it reminds me a bit of when I've had family or in-laws pass away, and instead of grieving over the person, we all fight for grandma's recipe cards. Now, in addition to being desperate to get them to be unified, he's also clearly frustrated and flustered to the point where it's actually kind of funny. He says, thank God that I didn't baptize any of you, well, except Crispus and Gaius, so that nobody can say that you were baptized in my name, Oh, yeah, and I baptized the house of Stephanus, too. Otherwise, I don't know if I baptized anyone else. But it doesn't matter, because I'm not here to baptize. I'm here to preach. I imagine Paul wishes that he had the whole, I baptized them, but I didn't baptize them thing to do all over again. But I understand that kind of frustration, especially recently. I liken it to nowadays in my house where my boys have not had nearly enough time to be outside and especially to be outside and away from one another. They're kind of stuck in the house together like so many of us are. And so they'll start bickering as brothers often do over something that I will think is tremendously stupid. Then I'll find myself at first trying to get in there and help them to sort it out. But eventually as they continue to go at it, I'll just get frustrated and resort to yelling, just knock it off. Knock it off! So, if I'm honest, I kind of like desperate and flustered Paul because I get it. But whereas my knock it off is often rooted in just my own frustration and, and being too tired to try to help my boys understand their dispute, as silly as it may be, Paul's frustration is rooted and the fact that the Corinthians don't understand that the cross was actually God's way of upending their views, of uh, their ways of defining and valuing themselves and one another. And, and it's an attempt to unify them in solidarity and sacrifice, which is ultimately the way of Christ. Now, my aha moment, the moment that made me go, hmm, hmm. My aha moment is when I recognized after reading this text that it's really natural for people to want to follow other people. We come by it honestly and always have. 
People want to follow leaders. And we're compelled by someone's charisma or beliefs or style or, or whatever. Sometimes we're scared into following them. And we find ourselves following that particular person or, or the group of people who have latched onto that person. And we see this throughout history. Nations, political parties, organizations, corporations, cults, and yes, churches are often formed or reformed as a result of people choosing to be aligned with a particular person. And it makes sense. It's human nature, but it can also lead to tremendous division. I'm not going to lie, I... I was caught up back in the 2000s in the election of Barack Obama and compelled by him as a leader to the point where Amy and I were watching this new Netflix documentary about Michelle Obama's book tour. And when I saw the 44th president and his family, I said to Amy, man, I miss them, him especially. But even as I say those words, I know that there are people, even in my own extended family, who have a much different memory of our 44th president. And in fact, feel very much caught up in the, the movement and the leadership, and I guess we could call it charisma, of our current president. Rallying around and, and even putting our faith and support exclusively in a particular person can be incredibly divisive. It can also be incredibly dangerous. We have countless stories in the church of charismatic preachers, pastors, and leaders who've gathered in a tremendous following, only to face downfall, disaster, and even tragic death as a result of their followers' decisions due to their devotion to that particular leader. And yet, it's still a thing in the church, even today. In fact, it was a big factor when I became a church planter. I remember in the course of the first year of our forming uh, St. John's Covenant Church, when I was the church planting pastor, and I made the decision that I truly felt was, a, was uh, led by the Holy Spirit to actually not preach on our first Easter Sunday, but to instead ask people in our little forming church to share their stories of resurrection that they'd experienced in their lives. And I remember that the director of church planting for the conference came to that Easter Sunday service and stayed for the whole, it was a pretty great service. The music was wonderful and these three different people shared their stories and they were just tremendously moving stories of, of resurrection in their lives. And I remember afterward, uh, this leader in the denomination came to me and said, hey, great service. Can we get a cup of coffee? Uh, maybe tomorrow even? I said, sure, I'd love to. And I was thinking he was going to tell me what a great great service it was and give me kudos for that decision but instead I remember him 
over coffee saying to me, Andy, I really don't understand why you wouldn't preach on the first Easter Sunday of this new church. Then I explained to him, I said, actually, I, I, I felt moved to not preach. I felt like the story of resurrection could better be told by people in the church who would experience this. And I remember, I'll never forget this church leader saying to me, I think that was a, not a wise move. Because people are going to become a part of this church and are going to stay a part of this church because of your preaching, because of you and your preaching. And I remember that my, my stomach just sank. And I knew in my gut somewhere, and I still believe that that leader was wrong. And in that moment, I became even more determined to do things differently, to church differently, so that, so that I would not be the spotlight and the focus of this new faith community that was forming. I think Paul is doing something like that when he says, Has Christ been divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in Paul's name? Sort of like, this whole thing isn't based on me. It's not about me. It's about Christ. So finally, this question of what, what is the good news? What's the good news we find in this text? And I actually think the good news comes in two parts. First of all, the good news is that we're currently being forced to re-examine our divisions because of what we're all experiencing in a unified way, this pandemic. And the second part is that we as a church have experience in doing this, in this breaking down of divisions. So first, COVID-19 has given us the opportunity to be united, not just as a people of God, but as a people of this, this planet. Brene Brown has a chapter in her book, called Braving the Wilderness, that many of us are reading for this deep dive experience that we're having together, this formational time that we've had on a weekly basis. And that chapter is entitled, People are hard to hate close, people are hard to hate up close, move in. People are hard to hate up close, move in. The irony is that because we're being forced to stay at home, to stay separated, to stay distance. I think many of us are desperate to break down any sort of divisions that might have kept us apart because we just want to be with other people. I truly believe that we have an opportunity to look past our differences and divisions in order to be united in getting through this pandemic for one thing and also coming out on the other side actually ready to move in toward people that we might have previously had division and disagreement with. I mean, I know that's true for me. I take a hug from someone that I might previously not have ever wanted to even talk to just because I am so longing to feel the, the warmth and love of humanity again. Many of the things that may have repelled me about someone prior to this COVID-19 pandemic, these things don't seem quite as important as being with others, united in love for one another. I was watching a TV show and there was a scene when folks just broke out into song and started singing 
Come on, people now, smile on your brother, everybody get together, try to love one another right now. And where at one time I would have considered that a little bit of like hippie-tinged smaltz, I actually found myself tearing up and singing along and being like, oh, oh, if we could only do that. Do that in the church, among denominations and mainline versus evangelicals and all the th the ways that we've decided to to distance ourselves from one another instead of being united in Christ as Paul is begging us to be. And I know, I know, I'm not going to be naive enough to think that this point in human history doesn't also or isn't already also causing even more division. But I think there's hope, especially for those of us who claim to be people of Jesus, or, or if you're not a Jesus person, people just committed to love, to love. I think there's hope for genuine unity, despite our differences, or at least that we can begin to look past, to move past, and move in toward each other. Even the windows of New Seasons Grocery here in St. John's proclaim, we're in this together. Almost echoing a song that has become somewhat of an anthem for us here at Portsmouth Union. And that's my last little bit of encouragement for us this morning, the good news of this word. To those of us who are part of the Portsmouth Union Church community, we have practice in this work of being unified despite our differences. As I was reading the text for this morning, I was also reminded of when our churches, the story of when our, these two churches came together to become Portsmouth Union. St. John's Community Church would have become St. John's Community Church, which was this new uh, evangelical-ish church with one particular way of worshiping and worship culture and, and, and style getting together with this over a century old mainline progressive united methodist church and i remember when we first made a commitment to worship together in the season of lent in 2015 i remember that there was friction there was tension and people pointed out to Jules and pointed out to me and asked questions. Why do they say it this way? Why do they do things this way? And I remember Jules and I being committed to unity and sitting down together and hashing those things out in front of the congregation, recognizing that our desire to be unified was more important than all of these differences that we had, and really trying to help one another to understand those things in order to be able to move past them, and to be unified in Christ, even in the middle of them. And it changed who we were into who we've become. This church that eventually decided, we want to be one. We want to be together in this, truly together in this, figuring out this way of churching and loving and following Jesus together. Unification in Christ 
is part of our DNA. It's part of the very fabric of who we are as a church. And so the question I have for us this morning as we close is this. How can we, as the people of Portsmouth Union Church, participate in breaking down divisions and being united in love? Love that in our tradition is embodied in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. How can and how will we do that even now as we're socially distanced from one another? And then how will we do that once we're able to be together again in person? Because while the rest of the world may see unification in Christ as foolishness and folly, Instead, lean into factionism, division. We are reminded in our text for this morning that this unification and solidarity embodied in Christ on the cross is indeed tremendously powerful. Will you pray with me? God, I pray that we as your people would continue to find commonality and unity. That we would continue to find a way past the things that divide us, that still divide us even today, even as the church. I pray that we would use this time this time of isolation, to truly consider how we can move past division and isolation that isn't caused by a pandemic, to instead be united for love, for light, for truth, for hope, for peace, for the things that are embodied in you, Lord Jesus. And I pray all of this in your name. Amen. Receive this as a benediction as we close for this morning. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make God's face to shine upon you and be gracious, gracious, gracious to you. The Lord lift up God's countenance upon you, and give you, give you, give you Stay home in peace to love and serve the Lord. Amen.